0: Study on end times in this study we 're talking in the topic that you 've come to join us this evening we 're still continuing to talk about the tribulation let 's just remind ourselves there 's oftentimes people make predictions about a lot of things we and we look at them we say hey they didn 't quite get it right The one area that we run into every day that we question predictions is the weather, okay, and sometimes it hits it right, sometimes it hits it wrong. But this one is not, is not going to be one that is going to change. Last weekend, when we were getting the reports that there was going to be this snowstorm here, we had already made plans that for the first time in months that we were going to be able to go and visit one of our family members out of state. We'd done all the COVID testing, had that all taken care of so we could go into their state and get back in here in time and all that. And then we heard that there's going to be bad weather. Because we heard that there's going to be bad weather, all the way up the coastline, we opted to do something about it. We, we uh, moved forward by 12 hours our plan of travel so we could get ahead of the storm. Well, here all of a sudden what we're talking about is giving you some warnings that, that are absolutely accurate, that should motivate you here, you at home, motivate to do something about it. So let's talk a little bit more about what we should be concerned about. We're talking about the tribulation. We've already described this in detail, that it's that last seven years we've given you a chart. And just to see how good we're doing with the chart, what is the final event of that last seven years? Christ's return. Very good. Here we go. We're going to see how good we're at with this one. So it ends with the coming of Jesus to the earth. There's seven years previous to the coming of Christ, there's an event that kicks it off. It's a treaty signed between Antichrist and Israel. Very good. It's a seven year treaty. And in the middle of the treaty, who breaks it? Antichrist will break the treaty. Now, the first three and a half years, they're good, kind of good times for the Jews. They're not as serious or severe. It's kind of like the way things are uh, even at this point. But in the second three and a half years, it's going to get really bad for them because, as we mentioned this morning, Satan is cast out of heaven. He's going to try to wipe out the Jews in total in those last three and a half years. And so when other passages are in, put in place, there's a lot of parallels. They all fit together. And that's no surprise to us as Bible believers because the same person wrote all these different books God behind the people like Matthew and John and others who recorded what God had said during this period of time there's three major sets of judgments that come they're they're, uh, just impacting situations do you remember what the first set of seven is it's the seal judgments do you remember what the next one is well let me throw it make it easier what's the next two The trumpets and the bowls. Okay, those and so those seven different different judgments that come down upon earth help to make it a really, really, really severe time, a horrible, horrible time that we talked about and said, hey, you know, it's the worst time in human history. Jesus said it. Daniel said it. And we gave you all these different events or different happenstances that are going to occur during those seven years that makes it so awful. And we looked at these last week. We looked at some of them even this morning as we wrapped up this section of it. How it's just filled more than any other time in history with all of these events, all of these happenstances, all of these forms of judgment, and the question that we were talking about that we said this morning is why does it get so bad? Why does God allow it? And that's where we're in the, the study, and we're saying, okay, one reason is Satan knows his time is short. Revelation 12. We talked about that. Then we said at the end of this morning study, because men will not just ignore God or reject God, they're going to act oppose him. Let's pick up a third reason why this time period is going to be so bad. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he's describing that, the, that event in history that is going to happen at the beginning or right before the entire tribulation starts, there's going to be the removal of spiritual restraints spiritual restraints will be removed. Follow along in Second Thessalonians. This is a tough text, but not for you because you have good Bible knowledge. So let's, let's reread what we were this morning and let's fill in some of the details. In this passage, the people are writing the Apostle Paul and they've asked this question. They said, have we missed what the, the rapture? Are we living?" in the tribulation? Will our loved ones come back to life? You see, what's happening there is the Roman persecutions are starting to start. You have Nero and people like him who are opposing the spread of Christianity. And some of the people are thinking, wait a minute, maybe we're living in the period of Antichrist. Maybe Nero and some of his successors, maybe they are Antichrist. And they're, they're wondering, are we already in the, tri- did we miss something? what happened? We, you talked about it, but, and so Paul is writing and he's going to rehearse what he's already told them. And he, with that in mind, he's going to say, no, 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 no. You, you aren't in the tribulation yet. They're asking that question. Are we already there? Is it already happened? His answer is going to be no. And he explains why. Follow along. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together with him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, uh, as from us, as that day of of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first of all. So he's going to give, he's going to say the signs of what happens before the tribulation starts. The first sign is there's got to be some type of huge apostasy. Some type of falling away from the truth, rejection of the truth. Then he gives the next thing that happens before... Okay, he goes on. He said that there has to be a falling away, and then the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes, exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshiped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. He's talking about Antichrist. And this one who's going to kick off the tribulation by signing the treaty and he's going to describe him. By the way, verse 8 describes him again. Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume bef- with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all powers and signs and lying wonders, all deceivableness, of unrighteousness, and then that perish, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so if you caught in this verse, he's talking about Antichrist, And he's going to make this comment. He says, okay, there's going to be before the Lord in his returning, there's going to be the apostasy, there's going to be the revealing of Antichrist. But look at the beginning of verse 8. And then shall that wicked one be revealed. Before Antichrist is revealed, something has to happen. Before Christ comes back, there's Antichrist, there's apostasy. But before even Antichrist, what happens? This is what he's talking about in verses 5, 6, and 7 the removal of spiritual restraint. Look what he, what he talks about here in the text, okay? That he's saying, okay, here's this Antichrist, and by the way, man of sin, no doubt about it, man of sin in this text is Antichrist. He's the one that will exalt himself, put himself in the temple. He's the one who's empowered by Satan. Before he comes to power... Before he comes to where he is making that treaty, what has to happen? He said, okay, I told you this before, verse 5, I'm not telling you anything new. Remember this. He says, and now we know what withholds he that might be revealed, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. What's the mystery of iniquity? That's already at hand. That's already happening. Well, you and I know this. There are already false teachers going around in Christianity. There are already people that are preaching anti-Jesus doctrines. We looked at that when we did the study of Colossians, the Gnostics. And he's saying there's already some of that falseness is already here. But it's going to get worse. And he he makes this comment. He says, before Antichrist is revealed, only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. That's a tough phrase. That's a tough phrase because of our English, and going back to the original language, the English has changed since our Bibles, many of us have King James, since they were written, the English wording has changed. Here's, Here's the way we read it in the King James. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Okay, what's that mean? Well, our modern English reads it opposite of what what the original text is. Because what it really means is he who holds back will continue to hold back until he's taken out of the way. That's the original language. That's what it was understood in 1611, King James. The word let was not what it means today. Go ahead and do. Don't do is what it was. And so he's basically, if we were to re-render it in modern English, Only he who restrains the iniquity will continue until he is taken out of the way. And then Antichrist is going to be revealed. Then the wicked one. And so the restrainer of evil has got to be removed before Antichrist is revealed. That's what this text is all about. This text is talking about before Antichrist is revealed by the signing of the covenant, he which restrains sin is going to be removed. And after he is removed, then Antichrist is, is going to be revealed. Okay, so our big question has got to be this. Who restrains sin? Here's their possibilities that some will talk about. And, and I want you to catch this, by the way. There's a change in the language from a neuter to a masculine. So we're talking a person. He's talking in the sense that there is something and it is a person or persons that are removing, that are withholding, that are, that are keeping down and restraining sin. Is it the angels? Do angels help to keep Satan and his hordes in line at times? That's true. They do oppose him. They do battle them. However, like in the book of Jude, when they were arguing over the body of Moses, the angels couldn't defeat Satan. They had to call upon Christ and upon his word in order to handle it. Is it government? Government was designed in order to suppress some evil. And government is designed to punish evildoers. Without government, there would be absolute chaos. Okay? That is God's design. Is he saying, I'm going to remove all government before Antichrist? Well, that doesn't make any sense because Antichrist is the head of government. Okay? And so it's not government. Could it be Believers, are we the salt and the light of the earth? Do we have impact? Let me rephrase it. Let me say it this way. Are we supposed to impact society for good? Okay. <clears throat> and do you at times? You, you've had the experience. You've had where you're living for the Lord. And somebody who knows you're living for the Lord will say, Oh, I'm sorry. I won't use that kind of language in front of you. I won't tell that story. I know that that would bother you. You suppress evil to, to a degree. By your presence, by your actions, by your lifestyle, by your influence on society. We know that. That's a possibility here. But I think there's a bigger, better possibility. And it is this idea of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit who has a special working in our age since Jesus went to heaven. And I'm going to invite you to go to John 16 with me. John chapter 16. The Holy Spirit who strove with people. Remember back in Genesis, my spirit will not always strive with men. And God said, that's it, I'm done, we're going to send the flood. The Holy Spirit who people did resist. Israel has resisted over the period of time. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit... And he makes some comments about him and how he was predicting that the Holy Spirit was going to come to the believers. Which, by the way, that opens up a whole new, whole new set of interesting comments. We're in John chapter sixteen, verse eleven, uh, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is necessary. It is beneficial. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. Can I just make an observation or two here in this text? This is Jesus, the last night that he's having the Last Supper with the disciples. They're upset. They're bothered that he's leaving. And he says, hey, wait a minute, but it's good that I leave. Remember, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare many mansions for you. And he gives that promise. And he makes a comment. He said, but here in this verse, it is good that I leave because if I leave, I'm going to send another, another comforter like me, another paracletos, another one who is going to be able to support you and help you. He's similar to me. It's part of the, the Trinity. He's going to come and he's going to help you out. And if, he, and if I don't leave, he doesn't come. So I'm leaving. He's coming. This is your benefit. By the way, let me throw this out. He's saying the Holy Spirit is coming. Is the Holy Spirit God? Dad, you were, you were supposed to be much quicker than that on that one. Okay. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Is he omnipresent? Okay. So what does he mean by the Holy Spirit coming? The idea is that there was going to be a new ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be something special that the Holy Spirit would do that he hasn't been doing all through the ages. Okay, and it's not like the Holy Spirit has never been there and all of a sudden he comes into existence. It's the idea of, okay, there's going to be something additional that he has done and it's, or something's going to be heightened during this time period. So in John chapter 16, when he's talking, he's saying, hey, this is going to be much better for you because if I don't go away, he won't come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So here's all your benefits. And by the way, we've already said this, okay? And in what way, stop and think about How is it that the Holy Spirit is better, quote-unquote, better for us than Jesus being present with the disciples? Yeah, there's one of the thoughts, okay? The Holy Spirit is going to be with the believers everywhere they went. Was Jesus always physically, always with his disciples everywhere they went during his ministry? No. Do you remember when he's on the mountain praying and they're out in the middle of the lake? Okay, but how much, uh, how often will the Holy Spirit be with you? Always, always. In fact, where is the Holy Spirit going to be? He's going to be in us. Do you remember what Jesus has just said? That same evening, he has already said the Holy Spirit will be in you. Okay, that he's going to be in your body and he will be with you always, forever, anywhere you go, everywhere you go. And he's going to be with you, so there's the benefit. And as he was winding down, right before he says this, in, John, in, in verse, uh, chapter 15, go back just a, a page or so, he says in verse 26, When the Comforter is come, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And then, what are you supposed to do? And then you shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's going to assist them in bearing witness. Okay? Has he already, all through the ages, has the Holy Spirit been working in hearts to some degree? The answer is yes. Has the Holy Spirit filled some people in the past? The answer is, yes, he did. Okay? Some of those in special events, special needs, the Holy Spirit came upon him. But now he is predicting, when I leave... I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the day that he sent him was on Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2. When he comes, he is going to be in all of you, all the time. That was different. That was different. It was a heightened ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what would the Holy Spirit do? He's going to help you in your witnessing. Like never before in history. Go back to John chapter 16, where in verse 8 we read, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So one of, the, one of the blessings that Jesus is predicting is not only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon all the believers, but also a really in heightened form of convicting and bringing people on to a point where he is drawing them to a point of salvation. Here, here's what we're talking about, convicting the world of sin. The word that he uses, convict the world, is a legal term, that you're showing somebody that they're guilty. You're showing somebody the evidence. You're bringing them to the point that you're proving your case. The Holy Spirit will convict the world, and he talks about it. He says, I'm going to convict you of sin because they believe not in me. Well, that makes sense, because what is the sin that causes people to go to hell? You can't say it's drugs. You can't say it's alcohol. You can't say that it is lying. You can't say that it is disobedience to parents. It is unbelief unbelief. If any man believes not, he is condemned already. Okay, so he's going to convict people of their unbelief, which is the major reason people don't get into heaven. And then he's going to convict of righteousness because Jesus goes unto the Father. There's all kinds of different interpretations, applications of this, so I'm giving you my personal one here. I think what he's talking about is he's saying that when the Holy Spirit comes... He's going to heighten and he's going to remind people of the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived what kind of a life? Perfect. He lived exactly as God wanted. They met the standard of God. And so the Holy Spirit is going to use the example of Christ to convict people of their own uh, their own lacks, their own weaknesses, their own need for growth. And by the way, I don't know about you, but every time as I read through the Gospels or every time when I preach through the Gospels, I do a study through the Gospels, I'm convicted by the life of Jesus. His love, His praying, His forgiveness... How about you? Does that happen? Just the example of Christ? And then he goes on, he says, the Holy Spirit will convict people of judgment because Satan is already judged. What's he mean by that? He is going to be convicting people with the idea that if Satan has to give an account to God, the rest of us, the rest of people, mankind are too. And if they follow Satan, what's going to happen? They're going to be damned. And so this work of the Holy Spirit is very unique. It's, it's, it's uh, heightened work of the Holy Spirit is unique in this age, even though he, he's done convicting in the past. I'm not saying he hasn't done that. He will do some convicting work even in the future. But it seems to me that during this age time that Jesus is saying he will end well, he will work side by side with you at a heightened pace, and he's going to bring conviction, and conviction usually suppresses people that they don't get as bad as what they could be because there's some form of conviction but all of a sudden, that form of that heightened challenge to people through the ministry, of, through the example of Christ, of their own belief, that's not going to be as much as it was during our age that's called the church age. The Holy Spirit, in other words, he is, his, his work is going to change. It's going to revert to like it was pre-Pentecost. It's not going to be the indwelling. It's not going to be as convicting. And I believe we're, we're initially involved in that. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent, and he still has to, be, he has to be working for people to get saved, but in this tribulation period, he's not going to be indwelling people the way he indwells people today. We're going back to the way it was in the Old Testament. This idea of the Holy Spirit, he is, he is going to obviously woo some people to salvation, but it's going to be different. Evil is going to have a freer roam and range to do things. They're not going to be as suppressed as the Holy Spirit suppresses even in this time period right now through us, through his using our witness, our testimony, and the word of Christ. In other words, the inner conviction will go to an all-time low. And if people have less conviction and less challenge to follow morality, what will people do? Okay, it, it's going to get more evil. It's going to get more evil. And it'll be like as in the days of Noah, where they were striving with the Spirit, as in the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the, the, the suppression, the suppressor, the restrainer that is working in our world today, just by the way, just throw this out. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit's presence and his suppression of evil were taking off, taken off totally right now? We think that this is a corrupt society now. So he says, okay, that's going to happen, That the Holy Spirit. So we have Satan knowing his time is short. We have the Holy Spirit pulling back on restraining evil. We have people becoming antagonistic towards God. How come it's going to get so bad? I'll give you another. Oops, I want to back up and make sure I say it right. We want to give you this one. Because God is going to unleash his retribution, his judgment on mankind. Now, what I mean by that is this you and I know whatsoever man sows, that shall he also be sure your sin will. Okay, we understand that. We know that. Okay. But on the flip side, is God still being patient? Is he holding back his judgment? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember in Peter where we read about that idea? People are wondering, where is his coming? We've been hearing about his coming forever and ever. Men have been saying, but everything just goes along like it normally has. We don't believe in his coming. If he was coming, why didn't he come back already? And the author of this passage writes and he says, now, wait a minute. The reason God is holding back his judgment not repeating the judgment like the flood is because the Lord is long-suffering. Oh, do you remember the rest of the text? He says, be not ignorant of this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that, but that all should. So why aren't we experiencing judgment? Do we, it's because we don't deserve it. Because we're such a good, our society in America is so good. No. The reason we aren't experiencing God's wrath is because God is being patient. He is allowing people at this time opportunities to get saved. But his patience is going to run out. It's going to run out. That's where the book of Revelation picks up. And that's where we get all these ideas that all these different judgments start coming. The seal judgment, this trumpet judgment, the vow. I want you to catch something about these judgments. Every one of them, when they initiate, watch the phrases. They are clearly from God, clearly from God. You, Jesus, are worthy to take the book and open the seals. It's Jesus who initiates those seal judgments. Where he says, as as we have the trumpet starting to open, I saw the seven angels which stood before God... And to them, they were given the seven trumpet judgments. And then we have the vile judgments. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. As you read through Revelation, you're going to find that this phrase shows up an awful lot. That this time period is filled with the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the punishment of God. Watch here. He says the kings and their great men, rich men, captains, all of them are going to run, hide themselves in the dens of the rocks, and they're going to say, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. God, God. From the wrath of the, who's the lamb? Jesus Christ. For the great day of his wrath has come. Isn't it amazing? They will understand. It's like the person who says, I don't believe in God. But when troubles come, oh God, help me. These individuals will say, we don't believe in God, we're rejecting him, but we know that this is coming because God is angry with us. But they don't repent. They understand it's the wrath of God. In fact, the angels make this comment. Fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. They say further, If any man worships the beast in his image and receive the mark of the, in the forehead, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. This time period is because of God now unleashing his retribution, allowing judgment to come that he's held back, holding the floodgates of his anger, his impatience, his judgment on sin, holding it back, but now he's starting to open up the gates starting to let the flood of the waters of his judgment come in. The, the angels made this coming. I saw another angel sign in heaven, great and marvelous, and saying of the seven last plagues, for in them is filled the wrath of God. We, we hear another voice. Go your ways, pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. We read in Revelation 16 where the capital city that Antichrist will build the new Babylon. It's described, it says the great city was divided in three parts and the nations fell. Great Babylon came into remembrance of God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. We read when the voices of many people in heaven start calling out about how the false religious system is going to be judged and Babylon is judged. For true and righteous are his judgments. He has judged the great whore who did did corrupt the earth with their fornication. He avenges the blood of his servants. This time period is filled with the anger of God coming upon man. Like as in the days of Noah. Like as what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. That God just said, enough is enough. And I'm going to judge. And that's this whole time period. It's universal. <clears throat> do you remember we talked about this this morning, Revelation 11? The two prophets that, that they are, for three and a half years, they're going to be preaching. They will be, finally be killed. And what do the people do? They, they will celebrate after leaving the bodies in the street. They will celebrate for an extended period of time. But then what happens is, and we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, what happens is those men will resurrect and ascend to heaven. But when that happens, when they ascend to heaven, this is, this is okay, all of a sudden these miracles are happening. These guys ascend to heaven. Jesus Christ is going to come from heaven. And here's what the people say. The angels sounded, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And the people are angry, the nations on earth, as they see Christ coming and getting, getting his kingdom established. They're angry that thy wrath is come, that they should be judged. They're upset about being judged. Because usually when people who want to continue to do wrong, they want to say that their wrong is right. It's okay. And they're going to realize, wait a minute, this is, this is all because of what they've done. is a horrible time period. Horrible because it is going to be God's judgment on earth physically. Like never before in history. By the way, you do know that hell is God's judgment, yes? So this is going to be, in a way, hell on earth. God's separation from the peoples on earth who have rejected him. And so we have all these reasons, but give, let me give you the last one. The last reason why I think this is such a horrible time. Actually, there's two. He, he's bringing Israel to repentance. True or false? Did God in history use Gentile nations to spank Israel? He did. Do you remember any nations he used? Babylon. Okay. He did it. He did it with Babylon. He did it throughout the book of Judges with lots of... This is a time period that is very Jewish. Okay, let me set that first of all. This is determined upon the Jewish people. The seven-year tribulation is now a a time period that's reverting to the Old Testament. It is a Jewish period of time. The church age has ended. It is a time where it's part of that 490 years, the last 70 years of them. He calls it Jacob's Trouble. He doesn't talk about it being the church's trouble, but Jacob's trouble. He talks about when you are in the tribulation, all these things that come upon you in the latter days. I did this, he says, because I will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant I made with you. This is all about getting the Jews to repent. He mentions that in Zechariah. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling upon all nations, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, I will make Jerusalem a stone. In other words, they will not be destroyed. And so he's working with the Jewish people. He's trying to bring them to repentance. He uses these Gentile nations to come against them. And we read about that in Ezekiel, where he's talking about they'll be regathered in the land. And he says that surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, my wrath will be poured out. I will then eventually rule over you. I will plead with you like a father's in the wilderness. I'll plead with you. I'll cause you to pass under the rod of correction. I'll bring you into the bond of the covenant at the very end. He says, I will purge out from among you those who rebel who transgress against me and those who remain they shall know that I am the Lord we read in just two chapters later that same thing I will gather you blow upon you as a fire in the furnace he says in my wrath you shall know that I am the Lord he's bringing them to the point where they admit you are the Lord you are the Lord and so as we keep on going through the passages like Jeremiah 30, he talks about this is all about the latter times, this entire chapter. This period is like a woman who's in, in labor pains. Faces are turning pale. It's a great day of trouble, even the time of Jacob's trouble. But Jacob will be saved in the end. The Jews will get saved at the very end. I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I'll make an end of all the nations among whom I previously scattered you. But of you I will not make a full end, but I will discipline you with judgment measure of discipline. And so that's happening throughout this time period. And it results in you will be my people and I will be your God. Go to the book of Zechariah. Okay, as we, as we hear winding down here this evening in the book of Zechariah towards the very end of your Old Testament, and I want you to go to two different passages. We're going to be in chapter 13, first of all, then chapter 14. In Zechariah 13, he makes this comment about these end times periods. He says in verse 2, it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. They shall no more be remembered. I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. In other words, I'm going to purge you. I'm going to get rid of all your false hopes, your your false religious system. Verse 8, we'll pick up here. Mm you The mm-hmm and it shall come to pass that in all the land saith the Lord two parts therein shall be cut off two parts of the Jews that are are alive at the end of the tribulation they will be cut off and die but a third shall be left therein and I will bring the third part through the fire refine them as silver is refined will try them as gold is refined they shall call on my name I will hear them I will say it is my people they shall say the Lord is my God describing all that area that time and you want to make sure you note that only one third of the Jews will survive. They will repent at that time. When does it all happen? Well, he makes the comment in Zechariah 14 verses 1 through 5. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, and I will gather all nations against Jerusalem for a battle. The city will be taken. The houses rifled. The woman ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of the battle. And his feet shall stand on that Day in that day on the Mount of Olives, what time period are we talking about? When is it that all the nations will gather against Jerusalem? And then Jesus comes at the very end of this battle and he lands, touches down at the Mount of Olives. This is all at the end of the tribulation, Armageddon taking place, Jesus coming back, and Jesus restoring the people. As we read in verse 9, where he makes that comment, he says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, there shall be one Lord. And so he's describing and saying all of this is happening for this one reason. I'm going to bring the Jews to belief. Look at verse 10 where he makes a comment, and the land shall be turned as the plain from Geba to Riman and He's talking about the distances. And he says in verse 11, the men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And he goes on, verse 16, we'll jump down, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. This is a point where people are brought to a point of repentance. The Jews just like Jesus said. He said, they shall gather together his elect. And by the way, where people get all hung up on this generation shall not pass, the word is genos. It's the word nation. This nation, Israel, shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That's why he says in the book of Amos, I will bring you into your land, just as he promised. So this whole time period is get the Jews to come to belief. And by the way, you know, not, not to sound bigoted, are the Jews stubborn religiously? Yes. And so he's going to go through these great measures to bring them to the point where they put their faith in Christ. Let me wrap up with this thought, okay? That the one final thought is this. God is forcing men to make a choice. The last seven years, you know how people right now can be neutral and on the fence, so to speak? They will not be allowed to do that in the tribulation. During the tribulation, it's going to come to a point where you either turn to God, turn to Jesus, or you go to Antichrist, and it's going to become that if, if you, you, you have a choice. And part of the choice is you receive the mark of the beast or you don't eat. They're going to be forced to choose. People are going to be backed into the corner. No neutrality. No sitting on the fence. I'll worry about it later. I'll, I'll believe later. Uh-uh. God is bringing it to a head that you believe and you have to choose now during that time period. Aren't we, aren't we living in a period of great grace? where you, some of you, thought about it for a while. You toyed with it. You, you considered it. But come that tribulation period, they, they aren't going to have opportunity to do that. They have to choose. And it's going to come to a point where God will say, hey, listen, people think that all these other things are worthwhile. He's going to show how government is not something to trust in. How money isn't something to trust in. How technology and inventions, they aren't something to trust in. You need to have faith in Jesus Christ. So he's going to rip the rug out of everything that people are putting their confidence in. And the people are going to say, I want to die because of the wrath of the Lord. But he's bringing them to the point of they have to decide. They have to choose as the conditions get so much worse. So when we get this whole idea, we come and say, okay, will people be getting saved? We'll talk about this later on. Yeah, even though the Holy Spirit is removed, look at all the different numbers of people that will be born again. Multitudes of people will get saved. Third part of the Jews will get saved. That there's this working of, the, of God in that time period that peoples will get saved. What about the church not being there? Who's going to be the witnesses? There's going to be the gospel preached in all the world by 144,000, by the two prophets. Even the angels will get involved with preaching the gospel. God is going to try to reach out and let people get saved even during this period of wrath. How gracious of God. That even in the midst of evil, as bad as it is, people can get saved. Do not underestimate. Let me rephrase that. Don't overestimate your circumstances. Where you say, oh, I work in, a, in, a, in an area that they are so hard to the gospel. They can still get saved. Don't say, okay, we live in a neighborhood that they are so hard to the gospel. They can still get saved in this time period. If God can bring people to salvation in this time period of the tribulation, he can bring people to salvation now. And and he's working. He's going to be very merciful. So I bring this all together and say, what should I do about this? If you're not saved, you've got to get saved now. Don't put yourself in risk of going into this tribulation period and being deceived and being, being caught into that time period where in foolishness you're, you give your faith and your life to Antichrist and following him. The delusion will be phenomenal. Can I make a suggestion beyond that? You should prepare a witness for family and friends so that if, you, if we're gone, say next week, next month, leave behind some type of witness. Leave something that people can hear from you what has happened. Give them some writing. Give them some recording. Do something to even share the gospel in that tribulation period. And if you're looking at this and saying, okay, that's great, I can do that, stop and pause and remember, we are living in the best time to do the gospel witnessing. This is the time that we should be doing our witnessing. I'm encouraging you to think about leaving a witness behind, but better yet, do it now. Because this is such a, a tremendous time. This is the time period where God is being patient. Non-suffering towards us. Not willing. This is the time period that the Holy Spirit is convicting in a very special way. This is that time period that it is far easier for families and friends to respond to the gospel now than in the tribulation period. Take advantage of it. Give out the word of God. This week, Take some tracks. Give them out. Share the gospel. Don't sit back and say, hey, we know that there's a storm approaching. We'll just kind of ride it out. Uh Uh-uh. Take some action. Do something. Be proactive. Get out the word of God. Father, help us to do that. Help us not just to hear these facts. Help us to be motivated by the fact that you are being patient right now, that Satan is, is being held back right now, that the Spirit is convicting like, uh, like now like, in, a, in a phenomenal way. Help us to realize that this is the moment to give out the gospel, to share our faith. Help us to do it this week, this night, this, this next month. When we hear about missions, help us to invest, to help get the word out while there's time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.